Hello, hello, and welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined, as ever, by the other half of your hosts, Gabriel Crozer. So we had a proper apocalyptic storm up in Johannesburg yesterday. Uh, the kind of storm that we get every now and again in Joburg. Nice big hail, but this one was particularly spicy. I don't know if it just happens to be where I live, but, uh, uh, you know, you had sheets of rain so thick that you couldn't see two meters outside of your house. There was uh, hailstones, some of them, I'm not going to say as big as my fist, but like but maybe bigger than the size balls. of my fist. Yeah, big, yeah. Big, not, not, not little things. Uh, and looking at the streets in the aftermath, uh, never mind the usual sort of fallen trees and things that you get from any big thunderstorm, but just the absolute shredding of all of the plants, leaves, just mm. everywhere. Um, mm. Looking into the garden, it looks like someone has taken a shotgun and shot all of our plants. <laughs> it's quite yeah. spectacular. It's terrible. Uh, and I my house also video, with it. <laughs> I saw, a, I'm in Cape Town, uh, come down to do an investigation. So I missed it. But a friend of mine uh, videoed her garden being shredded. And another one uh, videoed the street. And like, yeah, your description is apt. It's just like a, like a blanket being thrown over. Of yeah, or, moving or, or, or like someone took shredded lettuce and just threw it out into the street in massive <laughs> quantities. It looks uh, like, you know, those old TVs, like the white noise thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and when the house flooded, it was quite exciting because there I was standing kind of ankle deep in freezing cold hail meltwater, trying desperately to sweep back the... Uh, with mops and brooms, sweep back the water while my housemates desperately dragged all of the 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 uh, the, the cardboard boxes we had in that area out, and they are now stacked behind me. Um, oh, and we're your, your garage is your garage is being flooded, but you but you you swept back the tide with an actual broom while you're uh, it's more like stacked. I temporarily delayed the tide. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that in we, itself we, is. We lost More probably an old microwave to it, but apart, apart from that, the, the casualties were light, thankfully. Did please tell about the sausage dog. Oh, yes. And the best part was at some point, our little sausage dog had gotten lost in all of the chaos of people running around. And he was stuck on a slightly raised area above this flooded lake that was now the garage. However, there was a fallen over plastic table, you know, the top of a table, like before you put the legs in on a plastic table. Yeah, yeah. The trellis. And it was floating in the water. And he jumped onto it. And then with his momentum, he surfed across the garage, (laughs) carrying him (laughs) to safety on the other side. (laughs) Dude, that is the best sausage dog impression my brain mind's eye has, I think, ever. It it was was special. It was special. (laughs) He he, he, he looked more surprised than anyone else, really, about the sequence of events. I'm doing so well here. Look, guys. (laughs) So it is December. It is our last episode of the year. It is a... uh, Well, let let me put this in deeply selfish and personal terms. Just before the end of the year for the Daily Friends show... Uh, John Endress and I recorded a podcast special just talking about the year that had been and what we expected from the end of this year and the beginning of next year. And we discussed a number of topics. And one of them that came up was um, Cyril Ramaphosa 
and his likelihood to survive toward the ANC elective conference at the end of the year. And uh, just generally how important he was going to be to our politics and, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, John says something along the lines of, hmm, you know, I'm a little bit unsure because you never really know what can happen, but uh, I think he'll probably be fine. I was like, yeah, no, there's, he'll be fine. They're not going to see Ramaphosa going anywhere. And then I admit selfishly, I was very upset when literally as that went live on YouTube, news began to emerge in the aftermath of a uh, finding by a panel of judges um, that he had made judges some mistakes. An and two, made, two made some mistakes at at at, at uh, uh, regarding his palapala thing, and News Twenty Four suddenly had a big headline blaring out on top of the thing: "Breaking news: Ramaphosa very likely to resign." Now, on a personal silly, level, silly headline. This is something I'm. I would be pretty keen on. I think that this would be good for the country. And that's on my more high-minded level. On my low-minded level, I was like, damn it, he needs to survive so that I'm not wrong in the podcast I just did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, well, it's now a couple of days later. Um, and lo and behold, he is still president. He has not resigned. And, uh, in fact, He's fighting back. I yeah, do not think that he is going anywhere anytime soon. I don't think. But... Um, let me not speak for you. What is your take on this? Uh, I think, yeah, I, I wonder what News24 was told by a source to really go out on that limb and say something as dramatic as the president is very likely to resign in the next two hours. Um, I suppose there's two and, answers. And, the one on And yeah. to, to be fair, right? There was a press conference called, which then suddenly got delayed. One thing that uh, News Twenty Four might have been told is that the president's really, really the president uh, has just told me, you know, I'm his, I'm his, I'm his whisperer. I sit in the office, you know me. I've been giving you information through the years, and it's it's often turned out to be true. You know, I I told you in advance, Ramaphosa is likely to say lockdowns are going to end. Uh, you know, the, the, just before, you know, for example, last year, uh, 31st of December, New Year's Eve party, if I remember correctly, like on the 28th of December, um, that morning, there was still theoretically going to be a midnight curfew. And so there could theoretically yes. not be any, uh, yes. New Year's Eve parties. But in the morning, there was sort of News 24 said, our, our sources in the presidency say that. Uh, Ramaphosa is going to lift the lockdown, right. lift the curfew. And later that day, the president puts out a press statement saying, we're going to lift the curfew. And News 24 gets it seen really cool because they were ahead of the official release by several hours. And whoever that source is, is has shown yeah. uh, News 24 that Some he... Some credibility. Uh, he, yeah. And, and this, is, this is not unusual. They've, they've uh, been pretty close to Ramaphosa, especially in the beginning of his presidency. Oh, wow. Uh, was, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it would, it, if you were expecting a source to be saying president likely to resign, to be correct, it would be that one. It would be so, some, someone who's talking to news 24. Right. It would be the anonymous source that talks to news 24, that news 24 doesn't even call an anonymous source anymore. It just reports it. 
Um, right. So one 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 possibility is that this person is saying that, uh, and on the on the on the basis of him or her being trustworthy, they reported as so, fact. So another possibility. I think, I think- I think in the story this time, it, it did mention in the story, in one of the versions of the story, because they kept rewriting it as stuff happened. Um, it said, a source very close to Ramaphosa. That's one of my favorite euphemisms in, in journalism, because it doesn't always mean, but it does sometimes mean that the person themselves <laughs> said <laughs> that this was the case. So sometimes if you want to keep someone anonymous, uh, someone who's being talked about yourself. anonymous. You quote yourself, and then it's described in the anonymous reporting as a source close, very close to. <laughs> yeah, you've been WhatsApping the president. He told you he's going to quit. And you're like, ah, I heard from a source very close to the president that he's going to quit. Because I then told myself, ah, I've heard he's going to quit. So, that, so maybe that Adrian be... Bassan phoned up Ramaphosa and was like, hey, dude, what's going on? And he said, ah, oh, I've, I've had enough. I'm giving up. <laughs> Which is a delightful idea to it's something to imagine. But anyway, yeah. So that's that's one one story. What's your what's your second version? Okay. Well, no. I've, first, since we're pausing on this version, let's let's pause properly. That mm. version can be split in two. Um, one way that it can happen is the way you've described. Sort of Ramaphosa genuinely wants to quit. Uh, yes. He gets called up by uh, either someone at News Twenty Four or by an advisor who then relays this to News24. And he says, sincerely, right. I want to quit. Um, another way that this happens is that Ramaphosa uh, gets the phone call from, let's say, Adrian Bisson, and then says, oh, man, I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. Knowing that what this is going to do is result in News24 carrying the headline, Ramaphosa's thinking about resigning. Which and that that will consequences. take away... As soon as the independent panel report came out, it's like South Africa didn't have more than about three hours, I think, before this headline completed two hours, overwhelmed all of the news coverage. So the news coverage at first was panel finds Ramaphosa guilty, four charges. And And that was carried in the international news, not just in the local news. Yeah. The next thing to do, New York Times, all that. Next thing to do is unpack what are the four charges. And, you know, if Ramaphosa does nothing, for days and days, you can be going on the radio, on TV, Legal experts, civil society experts, all kinds of people can be saying, you know, this right. charge the crisis can really mature, can get really well. People can strong. come to understand what are the charges. Has he been charged for right. murder? Has he been charged for theft? Has he been charged for fraud? Has he been charged for racketeering? What's yes. the difference? Which ones is he likely to be? What's the evidence and so on and so forth? They could actually, the independent panel report is about 29 pages. That could be broken down into bite sized pieces that people could assimilate, and digest. Uh, but instead, it goes straight through the charge sheet, straight through the evidence to the result. And it's, you know, is he going to quit? And then it's like, as soon as you get to, is he going to quit? You think about, well, who is going to replace him? And that's really scary. So then you start going from, wow, he's guilty. That's terrible. Guilty of what? To, oh, my God, let's pretend he's not guilty. Let's, let's, let's hope he stays <laughs> in place, um, yes. which is suitable to Ramaphosa and his Mbongis. So, uh, you know, I'm not criticizing anyone for reporting i think uh uh the 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 second scenario um you know so, so scenario one is broken down into you know one a ramaphosa sincerely wants to quit and then it just turns out to play into his hands that when he's later convinced not to quit his honest desire to resign uh has been talked about so quickly and so 
loudly that it's drowned out any conversation about whether he's actually guilty or not um, before people get a chance to unpack the charges. One point B is that he deliberately does this, knowing that it's going to work out that way. And option two is that um, uh, someone else who doesn't have access to the president, who has in the past sometimes had access to the president, but doesn't in this case, the president's really bunkered down. He's really just talking to his, his wife and his two sons. Or you know, It's like someone realizes, uh, someone who's invested in the president succeeding, realizes that um, the best thing to do right now to try and save Ramaphosa's presidency is to uh, tell a right. journalist that he's thinking about resigning. Um, and so this actually has nothing to do with Ramaphosa's own thoughts, whether they are sincere or Machiavellian. It's just someone else's uh, machinations. Yeah, but someone... Someone else with a scheme. And anyway, the scheme works. And what I want to do is talk a little bit about... Um, right. So what the by work, you mean uh, uh, all the attentions on Roman Pause's political future now, very little details being put into about the report. And uh, now the narrative is about how he's fighting back against this. Yeah. And in fact, he's once again being cast sort of almost as the, uh, the beleaguered, besieged hero trying to fight back against the forces which seek to dethrone him. The dreaded yeah, I mean, RET on, faction, as they are called by, by many mainstream analysts. Yeah, so like on Thursday, when the panel came out, we were sitting with colleagues and uh, for our sort of end-of-year uh, get-together. And a lot of our colleagues were saying, you know, they, they, they believed it. Uh, 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 they think Ramaphosa is going to go. Um, and I was, <laughs> you know, fighting back and saying... He's going to stay. And Nicholas uh, was on my side. Um, there's a there, there's this sort of... Um, look, you know, you can even see in that first scenario where he generally wants to go that the forces that we, we, we argued for and we've argued before on this podcast about why he's so yeah. important to the ANC are just so overwhelming. And it's the same reason I think that, for example, despite the fact that Joe Biden is very old and crumbly, He's almost certainly going to take another bash being president again, because yeah. regardless of what you want, if every single person around you depends on you for their job prospects and their political prospects and their wealth and their peace of mind, it's really difficult to go into the office and be like, hey, guys, I'm quitting. Everyone's going to go, no, no, you're going to throw us all out in the cold, you monster. You're going to destroy our lives. How could you do this to us? We trusted you and supported you so strongly, blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 blah. And that's a very difficult tie to push back against when it's coming from essentially inside the house. So Nicholas in the in, in the IRR meeting sort of referred back to the Roman emperors. And in Robert Graves' <laughs> yes. uh, Claudius, This is the more Machiavellian in interpretation, well, right? So well, yeah. The the yeah. Roman emperors would stitch up beforehand uh, amongst the troops because by the late empire, the army was just selecting amongst its officers who was going to be the new emperor. There was no sort of senate process. And uh, this would be done by acclamation. Now, what the emperors would do with their subordinates is they would set this all up beforehand to make it look spontaneous. And the emperor would, or the soon-to-be emperor, would emerge from his tent and he would say, Oh, look, hello, soldiers. You're all standing around. Why are you all standing around? And they would just say, ah, yes, we declare you emperor. You're clearly the best person for the job. There's no way you can, can refuse. This is really important to us. Uh, we demand that you take up the imperial uh, crown. And the soon-to-be emperor would say, no, no, please, please, gentlemen, gentlemen, I appreciate your compliments, but I'm far too humble and dedicated a servant of the people to ever take up such power. 
No, no, please take the power. Take the power. Yeah, yeah. We need you. We need you. And they Nicholas. would get down on their hands Emperor and knees Nicholas, and beg him. I'm on my hands and knees. I'm begging you. And please sometimes take all the power. they would even I threaten him. They'd say, if you don't take the power, we're going to have to kill you. And he'd say, well, if it's that dire, if I'm that under pressure, I guess, I suppose I should be in charge of everyone and have the power of life and death and own 50% of the economy, okay, uh, which you. is what the Roman Emperor did. So, thank you so much for humbly <laughs> suffocating. So, so, and that's one, but you know, so, so, so in I Claudius, um, the who knows how accurate it is, that's up for debate, um, but it, at least it's emotionally very compelling. Uh, you, you, you get walked through the, the ascension to power of Augustus. Um, of Tiberius, of uh, Caligula, of Claudius, and one other. Nero is after uh, Claudius. Yeah. Um, in in like there are these different degrees of how much it's been set up, and certainly in the case of Claudius, the way Graves tells it, Claudius has a, a, a you know. Uh, physical disabilities, a club foot or something like that, scrawny, not very strong guy, has got a terrible stutter, has yeah. often been considered, has kind of survived the series of assassinations, political assassinations. Because he's funny. Because he's, he's like retarded um, in the eyes of uh, Lydia and, and others. And so um, when he finally, uh, you know, the, the, these German soldiers assassinate the previous emperor, um, they kind of they suddenly realize that they don't know how to replace him. They don't know what comes next that's going to make everything okay. And, and Claudius is just there, and they're like, "Well, make right, him emperor because he's technically exactly. the next in line." And he's if harmless, you're the murderer, yeah, you have to have the guy. The next guy has to be on your side so that you don't get prosecuted for the murder. So Claudius really is thrust into power. You know, some people are born into greatness. Other people uh, become great and, and others yet have it thrust upon them. I th that's, that's where this sort of notion, this Shakespearean trichotomy comes from, is the notion that, like, once you have enough power, you can't relinquish it because those around you keep forcing you to retain it. And, um, uh, and, 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 and so, yeah, you can be like Ramaphosa or, or Biden on one version, I don't know that it's an accurate version, but on one version, they're just sort of zombies. They um, have no minds of their own. They really are tired, beleaguered. They want to quit. Ramaphosa, we've heard from whomever, you know, sort of sits in his uh, office and stares at um, cattle auctions to kind of, you know, it's like his escapist uh, pseudo-pornographic view. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a little bit of It doesn't matter. The zombies still moves right. like a puppet with all the right. strings and machinations like uh, uh, I, I would say that galvanizing the it life. for the zombie theory is the uh, uh, Robert Paul's acceptance speech of when he was nominated for ANC leader again this time uh, I think it be <laughs> I think the key phrase in the uh, at the beginning of the speech was look guys I've really tried my best tried my best was <laughs> was the was the bit which is very sort of self-pitying and not very triumphant sounding so whatever the case is, the things I want to talk about are why um, or why I've come down to Cape Town yes. and, and what the and what this actual case that's been blown past is. So because I've read um, the panel report, about 30 pages. I've read Ramaphosa's response to the panel report, about 40 pages. I've read Ramaphosa's 
affidavit to uh, launch his notice of motion for, to launch a court case in the constitutional court to have the panel report set aside as unlawful, uh, which is about 60 pages. And I've now gone through uh, the entire bundle of the matter between Ramaphosa and Busisiwe Mkobande, where I haven't read everything, but I have, uh, you know, made waded my way through, I don't know, a thousand odd pages, one and a half thousand pages. Um, and um, there are a lot of ins and outs. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of things to say. Maybe I'll just throw a few at the wall, Nick, and, and you can sort of uh, ask me what you find, what, 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 what piques your curiosity. One of the right. things is that I uh, spoke with uh, one of South Africa's most respected young legal eagles on Friday after the panel report had come out. He'd had enough time to go through it. He said that he thought that the panel report, you know, chaired by the previous uh, chief justice and, you know, had, had he, I think the phrase was, um, had very carefully placed the dagger between the lip, ribs. Uh, you know, in other words, this was like, this was designed to kill. This was careful and considered and accurate. Right. Um, and and my some of the more salacious stuff was, was not included, right? And my reading is just the opposite. I think that the panel report is pretty clumsy. And uh, I don't want to say it's a thrown punch. I don't want to say that it was deliberately uh, sets Ramaphosa up to win. Um, but I think in a lot of ways it does set Ramaphosa up to win, uh, probably just by accident. Um, you see, this and- is... This is why I was so shocked, actually, in a sense, by this political development, is that I couldn't imagine a panel being set up by essentially uh, because it was it was assembled by the president, right? Or by no, it's assembled by the National Assembly, right? But it's it's the ANC; it's still within the the sort of power structures there. And yes, it's supposed to be independent people, but I, I I struggle to imagine in my cynical, twisted mind that. This could be anything other than at least a little bit of a stitch up. Well, you know, I must say that when Zuma appointed Mohoeng Mohoeng to become Chief Justice of South Africa, uh, yes. people were like, ah, oh, this guy's just going to be a yes man for Zuma. And yes, in the end, this. that turned out not to be the case. So, um, I, so actually, there's a, there's a quote from a National Party politician about this, um, which is uh, complaining about the National Party's lack of control over parts of the judiciary during apartheid, which is that you can appoint a judge as a loyal, a, a Prachnik, a cater of the revolution, so to speak, to use a different political party's phrases. And within six months, he thinks he got there on merit. <laughs> so. Yeah. so I think that, so people who have this, who have this uh, hope or belief that the panel was trying to act independently, I think it was probably trying to act independently. Um, I don't think that's crazy. It's a retired chief justice, a retired judge, an active act advocate, but you know, one who has good standing. Um, I think that uh, okay, but so one of the things is is that they failed, I think, to do a really good job. I think Ramaphosa is going to win in his Concord Challenge, at least in part. I'll tell you why. Another thing is, I think he's being impeached for the wrong thing. I'm kind of interested in maybe trying to get him impeached afresh. Um, I think that this investigation in Cape Town might have produced evidence to look, I don't have, I don't have a view on whether he should be impeached or not outside of 
you know, if the facts say he should be impeached, he should be impeached. But like my political hat is kind of off at this stage. Um, I think if he, I think that Arthur Fraser is a very suspicious dude. Um, yes. If he's being set up, then he, he should be cleared. And if he's not being set up, he should be um, taken down. So anyway, the, the, this investigation makes me, raises my suspicion. Our attorneys have just spoken to them. We'll be asking him questions, which could exonerate him. Uh, but I'll tell you why it's, what, what that hangs on. Um, and uh, I think that, I think the most concerning thing is, according to Ramaphosa, more than anyone else, Ramaphosa should be impeached. So there's a little bit of missing evidence, but on principle, <laughs> laid out under oath by Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa should be impeached. That's kind of a, a pretty, uh, like, I felt a little bit of, uh, like, I don't want to say seasickness, but I'm in Cape Town, <laughs> and it, I felt very awake. Like, I'm in sleepy, sleepy town, slopstut. It's so sleepy here that, like, the court in Joburg, in North Gauteng, South Gauteng, Grandburg Magistrates Court, you know, whether you're in the high courts or the match courts, if you want to get court documents, you go to the court, you bring your ID, you get the court documents. Um, uh, here, like, you go to the court and no one asked me for ID. Uh, like, I was told over and again by Joburg. <laughs> That's always a good sign. If you don't bring your ID, they, they won't give you anything. No one. Um, no, maybe that's not true. Maybe someone asked me for ID. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Someone asked me for ID. I take it back. Someone asked me for ID. Um, it's the last thing I'll take. Back. <laughs> but for sure, uh, you have to apply today and you get the court documents tomorrow. And in the end, when I got the documents, like, like three people in a row saw where they are. Like I had to queue for seven hours longer than should it all have been necessary to get these documents. But whatever, it's sleepy town, dude. But once I got the documents, I felt very, very awake because Ramaphosa, according to Ramaphosa, should be impeached. Um, and that's kind of in, in, as the lawyers say, in black on white. You know, it's in very clear language. Um, right. And that's that's kind of weird. Yeah. Sort of. <sighs> when your own president is saying, <laughs> you know, here are the rules. Uh <laughs> and and like in the same matter, not quite on the same day, but like in the same month, he then he then crosses his own red line, and there's nothing to explain why. Uh, and he's been kind of strange about uh, the evidence that might show why. That's it's just. Uh, Feels it feels uh, eerie. So, explain what exactly is the case against Ramaphosa? So what is the case that has been put forward by the by the panel, and what is the case that you think should have been put forward? Okay, so the case by the panel is four charges. Uh, charge one is that he acted unconstitutionally. Because he, uh, the Constitution clearly says the president's not allowed to have two jobs at the same time, neither the president nor anyone in the executive. Um, and, you know, for example, in the, pre my, the president's keepers, 
by Jacques Poe, one of the more amazing revelations, but it wasn't actually revealed then. It had come out before. It just had been forgotten and then it was resurrected. Was that Jacob Zuma was drawing a salary for the first like eight months of his tenure as president, which is flatly unconstitutional. Um, <laughs> Good times. Uh, he, he sort of, I think that money he actually gave back um, because it's just so blatantly unconstitutional um, to, have, to have this second salary. So, um, the second charge, uh, charges two, three, and four are all that he acted in a, with a kind of conflict of interest by, I think charge two is that he, is that he should have reported this matter to a special, there's a special uh, obligation on people in the administration, in the officialdom of South Africa, administration or executive, whatever, to to report on corruption that they see. So it, it's like um, at Princeton, we had a thing called the honor code and, and, and the rules of the honor code were that you, I promise, there were two pledges. I promise not to cheat in my exam. And I also promise uh, that if I see someone else cheat, I will report them. And so we had no invigilators at university. It's against the university's policy for anyone to invigilate a serious test or exam. Professors, uh, tutors, they must get out. The students invigilate themselves. Um, and that's a sort of century-old tradition. And uh, it comes out of this notion of the honor code. And it's it sort of, you know, it's, it's, you're at the highest level. Ces custodet ipsos custodes. Who guards the guardians? Um, when you're a kid, your parents guard you. When you're at high school, the teachers guard you. They supervise you. They, you know, they punish you or hold you to account. But if you are the guardians, then you have to guard one another. And the idea is in South Africa, there's this law that says if you're in the executive, it's not just that you won't personally be corrupt. It's also the case that if you see someone else be corrupt, you have to report them. And if you fail to do that, like if it's spending over 50,000 rand or 100,000 100, rand, um, and you and you catch wind of it, and you don't report it, then you too are guilty um, for so omitting to report it. In this case, what was he sp supposed to report specifically? He was supposed to have reported the crime of uh, theft, the money theft, right, and the potential uh, crime of foreign currency exchange violations in the money entering. Um, the third case is that he didn't report the crime to SAPS and didn't get a case number, uh, and and so didn't uh, you know act properly. Um, and the fourth charge is likewise that he asked a particular member of the protection of the presidential protection service to go ahead and uh, investigate the matter, uh, and he sh and he should have asked uh, someone else to do so. So. Um, I think that the first charge is the weakest um, and it's the most frustrating. So the first charge, remember, was yes. that he acted unconstitutionally by, having a, by, by running a business while he's president. Right. right. But, yeah, that's, it's, you know, you can look into the details of that and pretty easily find, well, you know, he went around talking about how he's a farmer because, you know, that's good for his political shtick, but... Honestly, it was not really, he didn't really do anything. It was all managed by the people who had nothing to do with it. He wasn't involved. He didn't see the books or anything for since he became president. Yeah. So, I mean, when I, oddly enough, when we were having our staff meeting, 
I, I said, you know, there are three key elements to the narrative that are going to save him. And they are the first three names that are mentioned in his response to the independent panel. First one is, guess who? Nelson Mandela. The guy you always want to have in your corner. You know, to me, Ramaphosa has always, more than anyone else, been ready to... In- Dude, he said Mandela's ghost talks to him. That's who said to me. Right, um, right. Yeah, no, and uh, as, as someone in the British Parliament said, uh, yeah. you keep, you've kept, you've reinvigorated the spirit of Mandela. Yes. He, he, he starts the thing by saying, and I paraphrase pretty directly, Nelson Mandela farms cattle at Kunu while he's president. And that's what I do. Uh, so, how to do? He also mentions his father <laughs> and how his father was a cattle farmer. So he says, "This is a passion. This is a spiritual thing. This is an African thing. This yeah, is well, not a business." To do? Take them all out the back and shoot them in the back of the head. Well, one way you can tell it's not a business is that alt- is that overall the Palapala wildlife, cons- you know, this closed corporation loses more money than it makes every year. Um, and if you know any part of what frustrated me about that allegation, it's like. I know rich people. If you know any seriously rich people, you know um, that they have these very large estates, which are playgrounds for them, and that they are extremely expensive to run. I, you know, I know a French uh, duke with a castle in Provence. I know Americans with uh, absurdly luxurious ranches in the Midwest. I know South Africans with wildlife uh, game farms. In Limpopo, I know South Africans with vineyards in the Western Cape. I know people with, uh, you know, cattle ranches uh, or whatever you want to call them in, in, in the foothills of the Drakensberg. And the story is the same for all of them, that, that they could hardly afford, as rich as they are, to hold on to these playgrounds if they didn't figure out some way to reduce their losses. You know, so if you, like, learn how to, um, buy, you know, buy a bunch of giraffe for like 12 million rand. That's put you deep in the hole. Then if they start breeding and you sell off occasionally a giraffe or two, you're not actually making money. You're just losing less money uh, because you constantly have to pay for the electric fencing, for the water, for the staff, for the fence, re, you know, rebuilding fences that get broken, regrading roads every time it rains. You know, there's so many expenses that go into maintaining that playground. Um, that you know, buying twenty wildebeest or fifty wild, whatever it is, and then selling some of some of the the, the stock to, because you don't have any predators, uh, they would end up overgrazing the land if you don't do it. It's kind of part of responsible uh, wildlife management, and it's kind of part of anyway. I don't I don't have any of the money to do any of this, but I but I know that right. Um, that, that that being said, anyone so- who knows rich people. <laughs> knows that this okay. is not a business a wildlife thing like that is not a business it's a okay it's but, a but, but 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 it's but, a resort but, but, but. it's a p- but, but. personal it yeah. is a resort and you're and i get it that you know in a sense it's not supposed to be trying to make money but what is the difference between that and you just running a business badly i think it's uh well here's what i think I think it's a difference that the constitution, the constitutional court is going to have to decide, and this is part of what bugs me about that charge. Section 194 of the constitution, I'm, I'm going to be saying a lot of things from memory because my phone's battery is a bit dead, but 
Section 194 is right, on the beach. You're in Cape Town. Where and... the air is slowing to the mind. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> no offense to our Cape Town listeners. Yeah, you guys look. You, it's it's fine. We're going to be. I've been very rude already. I'm going to. Uh, you can send me angry emails. Um, let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, section one ninety four. Uh, removal from office. The public protector, the auditor general, or a member of cabinet of a commission established by this chapter may be removed from office only on. Oh no! Wait. Uh, where's. Uh, <laughs> The president may suspend. Uh, wait, there's rules for removing the president, but I'm, I can't remember the number. Here's the point. Right. The Constitution says that the president can be removed. You know, there's a vote of no confidence, which is a simple majority, or there is this uh, scarier thing where the president gets impeached, although it doesn't use that language. It's, it's, so impeached impeaches is a bit weird in our system, right? Because we're like a weird cross between a parliamentary and a presidential system in some ways, aren't we? In that, you know, normally you don't, like in most parliamentary systems, you don't even bother with impeachment. You just say, oh, well, we're just going to have this uh, vote of no confidence. confidence. Then you're gone. Majority, and then yeah. Doesn't matter. Who cares? You're on the back benches or maybe you're not even in parliament anymore. But we have this thing where the president isn't actually a member of parliament. They... Once they get elected president, they sort of get raised above parliament, which yeah. is a bit odd. Um, so, well, because it's the head of the states and the head of the executive. So, yes. in the same way, the queen is above parliament. Right, um, right. But normally, countries that have, uh, yeah, uh, a lot yeah. of countries. So, so we've got, president. so we've got both. But the the, the point is, we've got mm. both. Either you can remove Ramaphosa by a simple majority of the National Assembly, or you can and, uh, or you can have the you can impeach him which means you start this process and actually remove him, which means you have to pass an objective test that he's actually done something wrong. Motion of no confidence, you can just be like, ah, we, we don't like how he looks. Yeah, we just don't like this uh, guy. Yeah. Whereas Wears bad shirts. <laughs> Section 89 is the number I'm looking for. Section 89, removal of president, requires uh, a, an objective test of wrongfulness to be passed and a two-thirds majority. And the only real material difference is if he is removed in that way, then he doesn't get uh, retirement benefits. Whereas if it's a motion of no confidence, he gets a retirement benefits. But right, obviously is a, can, can a big run, political He's also barred from running for office. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, he, so it's, may not it's, serve it's, in any office. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's final. It's like saying, you we know what? Yet. This isn't just a political decision. This is a get the hell out of our politics completely decision. So section 89, one, uh, lays out A, B, and C, the reasons you can remove him in this way or her. One is a serious, 81A is a serious violation of the constitution or the law. B is serious misconduct. Or C is an inability to perform the functions of office. So C is like if he goes crazy or goes into a coma. A distinguishes the constitution and ordinary laws. And B is serious misconduct. So you can be impeached and removed uh, without breaking the law or the constitution, uh, you can just do serious misconduct. It, it's a separate test. There's three. So there's, you know, ignoring the, uh, you go crazy or you um, pass out or whatever, you go into a coma. There's three ways. You can either have a serious violation of the constitution, a serious violation of the law, ordinary laws, or a serious misconduct. Now, this charge one on he's running a business while being president was 
registered as a constitutional as being unconstitutional. And the problem there is that the constitutional court is given sole discretion to adjudicate whether um, any conduct by the president has been unconstitutional. So the Ramaphosa's uh, filing papers um, do sort of make men, do refer to this section. He doesn't really spell it out, and there's and there's a good reason for that. But basically, what I'm trying to say is, the Concord does not need to get involved in charges two, three, and four because they are about serious misconduct. And there, all you need is an independent panel and the National Assembly. They think about it, and they can decide if conduct has been if misconduct has been serious, because that word serious, it's kind of like a political word. Who really gets to decide whether it's serious misconduct or misconduct, but right, not that serious? Right. Well, parliament gets to decide because they're the people's choice and they've already set up a test to say whether the conduct is serious or not. And it's, uh, you know, the president has to act badly and in bad faith. So it can't just be that he's stupid. He's also got to be wicked. Can't just be a fool. He's also got to be a knave. Um, can't just be reckless. He's got to be malevolent. Um, and, and, and then there's also like, uh, you know, how bad is it? Is it like just a little bit bad or is it very bad? Again, that's, that's, a, that's a test with political implications and, and parliament gets to decide. Now, I think with impeachment, it's better for parliament to be doing it because, okay, parliament's struck with a majority of ANC MPs and Ramaphosa is an ANC leader. If Parliament, you know, goes ahead and says, well, this guy's not guilty, or he's guilty, but it's not serious, or he's guilty and it's serious, but it wasn't in bad faith. You know, we just think he was clumsy. You know, it must be clear that this is a political, that this is a politically inflected decision. And the voters must know this is a decision made by the ANC. This is their interpretation. And then the voters can punish or reward the ANC for that interpretation. I think that it's that those kinds of charges are um, inherently political, uh, and that it's a huge nightmare for the courts to be dragged into ruling on them. Right. But on this first charge, the courts has to hear it because uh, that's how the charge has been framed. It's been framed in terms of um, uh, uh, unconstitutional conduct. And so the president has every right, in my view, to appeal to the Concord to go around this political process. And if the Concord finds him not guilty, uh, as on a first glance reading, I think they're likely to do, um, I think that it's going to send a, a, a sort of political message, um, which is uh, going to be that, you know, the Concord... Uh, is independent and is finding him not guilty. Yay, he's not guilty on this charge. He's also therefore not guilty on all the other charges. Um, even if they don't, even if they do split it, I think, by the way, that what they should do is find him not guilty on the first charge and say that we don't want to answer guilty or not guilty on the other three charges because we think that's for the National Assembly to decide. Um, but they might get dragged into those charges as well, in which case they're going to be, have to decide what's and serious or not serious. And if they find for him, the Zoomerites are going to say, and, and the EFF are going to say, and the DA is going to say, so many people are going to say, look, the Concord has been appointed by Ramaphosa. That's why they're finding him not guilty. 
Uh, it's just the game is rigged. You know, that's why you don't want the court to be forced to ask this, to answer inherently political questions one way let's or another. They, yeah, let's say the opposite happens. Let's say they find him guilty on everything, just hypothetically, and we can get to maybe yeah. how they might do that. But what then? So then the matter will go back to the National Assembly and he stays where he is unless the National Assembly gives a two-thirds vote to remove him. Right. And that would require, I think, something like 60 ANC MPs? Yeah. Out of the 230? More, maybe, to to, (laughs) to vote against him? Uh, I can maybe see a couple, like because of the ANC faction fighting being so vicious, who might be tempted to vote against him, particularly if it was a secret ballot, but not that many. Yeah. So he's he's not going anywhere. He's not going, even if the Concord find him guilty of all that stuff. I don't think he's going anywhere. By the way, the Constitutional Court section 167.5 of the Constitution says that the Constitutional Court makes the final decision whether inter alia uh, conduct of the president is constitutional. Uh, so... Once you say with those Section 89 tests, that's I'm just sort of underlining this. Um, I think that uh, the so I think the first charge is wrong. His defense is this wasn't ever meant to be a business. Uh, you can tell because it's always been running at a loss. You can tell because that's never been a problem for me. You can tell because it's my private getaway for my friends and family. Uh, you can tell. That, uh, you know, the only thing that I'm allowed to do with businesses is instruct people to sell. And that's the closest thing to an instruction I gave. Um, I'm not monitoring it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, This has all been declared ex-ante. My major assets coming to billions of rands that really are quite complicated. Conflicts of interest really would come out of them. I have done the proper above-board thing with all of them. It's all been done since 2012 uh, and so on. Um, and uh, uh, and there's a paper trail to substantiate my version. Um, I think that's going to, uh, you know, you, you, you asked me the question, what's the difference between, a, you know, uh, an estate that's running at a loss and a business that's just being badly managed? You know, I think that uh, it's going to take two minutes for the best lawyers in the country, which is uh, what Ramaphosa has, to, to, to show what the difference is and to show that to the constitutional court to its satisfaction. And so I think the courts, you know, has to hear him on that because I've just read the section that clearly uh, says it, it must be the one to find where the presidential conduct was uh, unconstitutional. And when it hears it, uh, I think it's going to have to find him not guilty. Now, on the third, second, third, and fourth charges, the second name that Ramaphosa mentions is Wally Rood, General Wally Rood, who we've talked about from the beginning of the Palapala thing. This is the guy the presidential protector that Ramaphosa asks to take care of his business. And right. uh, and Ramaphosa, you know, throws him under the bus. But, like, right, I don't know if it's wrong. He says, look, I reported the thing to him, and I thought that if there's anything else that needs to report it, he's going to take care of it. The fact that there's no case number, I mean, actually, Ramaphosa, according to South African law, should not have been one to, fight, to, to go to the police to swear an affidavit in order to get a case number. The person who first came to be aware of the crime is the person who should go and report the crime because Ramaphosa wouldn't be able to swear an affidavit in the first instance on anything right, but he hearsay evidence. He wasn't there. 
the person who went to the couch and discovered that it had been upturned and that the money had been uplifted, uh, that's the person who should have sworn an affidavit, and that's the person who should have uh, um, gotten a case number. It's <laughs> not Ramaphosa's bad. Worth reflecting for a moment on the fact that it was in a couch. <laughs> and Ramaphosa gives his version about why it was in a couch, and he says that uh, the start he had been. He didn't know that it was in the couch, but someone else had made the decision to put it in the couch because they had heard that there was uh, danger amongst the staff of theft. And so the safe uh, was considered unsafe and the couch was in a room that was never used. And, uh, you know, they thought it was a very clever bluff. No one's ever going to look there. Um, I, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, partly, I think it's worth bearing in mind that that the world that extremely rich people move in is a little bit like ours and a little bit unlike ours. You know, I remember my mom hiding money in the kettle. Uh, not, not the kettle, the teapot. There was a fancy teapot that no, was hardly ever used and she just constantly kept a stash of cash in I, there. I hope this is no longer a, a practice now that you've just given it's, away the secret. No, it's long desisted in being a practice. Um and I remember hiding money in my, uh, uh, I don't know, in a shoe back when I was in boarding house. Um, and at the same time as having bank accounts and having all kinds of things. But there was like, a, I don't know. I don't know what the thinking was, but there it was. It happened. Real people do do it. And really, really rich people, are they that different to us? Well, yes, in some senses and no in others. And also in this version, you know, the decision is not made by Ramaphosa. It's made by some slightly more working-class person who thinks, ah, the safe, that's dangerous. That's the first place they're going to look. Let's hide it in the... And I know some some farmers and some game, you know, some some uh, suburban elites who've got game farms and stuff who really do hide cash in uh, strange places. So um, I don't think it's beyond the blue. Um, in any event, whatever the case there is, it's, 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 it's Ramaphosa's farm manager... And it's Wally Rood, the presidential protector, who are who 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 are going to face the the firing if there is a firing to do with this. Um, charge three as a subsection has uh, reference to Ramaphosa's, uh, you know, because the thought is there's a conflict of interest in how he's behaved. Oh, by the way, charge two on the on the precker on this uh, law. The honor code law that says you've got to tell people what you're up to. You've got to say if you see corruption, potential corruption. He's like, this is, uh, he says, this is clearly not what that law envisaged. Um, and here's how you can tell. This is what that law envisaged. It envisaged Nicholas and Gabriel are both working in the, in ESCOM or whatever, in the procurement office. And Gabriel sees Nicholas, or I'll be the guilty one. Nicholas sees Gabriel, um, uh, put in, uh, sign off on a contract to buy uh, 10 cars for 50 million rand. But they, they're like, like they're not each worth 5 million rand. These are like quite cheap cars. These are like half a million rand cars. So it's like Gabriel is spending way too much money. He's, you know, like 10 cars for half a million should be 5 million rand that, that, he, that the government is spending. But he signed off on 49 million, which is just below the threshold for like a more complicated tender process. And he's, you know, Nicholas can, knows how much these cars are really worth. He knows that this must be corrupt. He doesn't see Gabriel get the kickback, but it's there's a very clear inference to draw that what Gabriel has done is uh, is is uh, overpay 
in order that the people that he's paying will give him a little bit of a kickback and they'll right. both come away with extra money from the taxpayer. Now, Nicholas, having seen my crime, has also committed a crime if he doesn't report it because it's happened in the same office right. and he knows me and he knows what I've done. So here's how you can tell that that's what you're supposed to do. In the form to fill out, the PRECA form for this honor code thing, you have to say the name of the person who has committed the crime and their ID number. Ramaphosa's like, dude, I don't know the name of the people who stole the money. <laughs> yes. That is, this is a very different kind of crime. The kind of crime that I'm the victim of is the kind, firstly, I did report it. And secondly, this is the PRECA reporting system. That is not at all the kind of reporting system that, that, that was set up for this kind of thing. So I haven't violated that. You can tell that the purpose of that honor code thing is, you know, we're in the exam room together. I see you cheat. I say, hey, that person next to me cheated. Um, it's not the same as we're in the exam room and, like, uh, I left my laptop outside and some person that I've never seen and that I never do see, you know, picks up the laptop bag and runs away with it. That is an ordinary crime. Um, the, that is not a, that's not a we're in the room together and, and I need to be keeping an eye on you and you need to be keeping an eye on me kind of crime. So, um, the, you know, again, it's like, uh, you know, I think he's doing some pretty good work there. By the way, I don't want to say that everything that he's doing is good. In his, in his comeback, he, he does this thing on, like, evidence. He says they've created a reverse onus, you know. He's like, oh, this is so terrible. They're saying, I need to prove that I'm innocent. And the, and, and the law says you must never have to prove that you're innocent. <laughs> no, that's not what's going on. They have to show that there's sufficient evidence that you've got a case to answer. So first step is they've got to make a case. And then second step is, well, they've made a case. Like, you need to answer that case. Um, <laughs> the, the, and by the way, technically, someone from Cambridge once explained this to me, there's a difference between an onus and a burden. So the onus never shifts. It's always the case that the, that the state has to prove that you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal matter or beyond a balance of probabilities in a civil case. In this case, on a yeah, there's a political standard of two-thirds majority of parliament but as whatever it is in order to make the move against you the onus is on the state to to cross a threshold in order to but they have to you. if it was like tennis they would have to serve the ball but there's a burden the burden does shift so the onus always the, stays with the so once accuser. the ball has been served then the burden shifts to now you have to answer and then you and then the burden shifts back you need to answer the answer so the onus stays but the burden moves back and forth and back and forth so he's really, he's just being like, he's making like a, a law and order, you know, he's making the kind of mistake you'd make if you only watch law and order, which is the kind of mistake, in other words, that his lawyers are surely too smart to not know that they're making this mistake, but they're making it anyway. Um, another one is that he says, which I find hilarious, he goes on and on about like hearsay evidence and unlawfully acquired evidence. There's no requirement that the, that the impeachment process needs to be sustained by only lawfully acquired evidence. The president is the head of the police and the and the law enforcement agencies. So it, it's often going to be the case. You have to break the law in order to impeach him. That's fine because you're not the, – the kind of protections you need from criminal prosecution or civil suits is not the same as the kinds of protections you need as the president. You're already much more protected as the president. You've got the whole army right. on your side. Uh, so we can actually use unlawfully acquired evidence. If, we, if someone stole evidence from the Namibian vault – uh, or the South African vault, for that matter. That's okay. We can use that to impeach you. Um, likewise, when he goes on about hearsay, I find it hilarious. I'm I'm keeping those quotes because 
the land court bill, which he one day might sign into law, completely throws the rules of hearsay out and just says, you know, anything you've ever heard anyone else ever say can be used. Against <laughs> you. And yes. he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, yeah, this is perhaps a reminder of why such rules. I mean, one would think that in a moment of moral clarity, he might for a moment think about, you know, maybe we do have those rules for a reason anyway. Yes, yes. Yes, but 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 I actually think that the way that he tries to finagle it in this instance is, is a little bit silly. Um, he tries to say things like um, the charges laid out against me are are sustained by you know Arthur Fraser, who's just the enemy. You know, so it's the first one is Mandela, he's my guy. Second one is Wally Rude, he's my fall guy, and third one is Arthur Fraser, he's the he's the bad guy. Um, and he says, you know, he, he, he's got his hearsay evidence and then I've got my hearsay evidence and, and the panel is trying to weigh up the hearsay evidence against the hearsay evidence. This is not how it's supposed to work. It's like, well, that's just not what the panel has done. I mean, I think the most egregious thing that, that his lawyers have submitted is that they say um, Parliament's rules uh, say that the president can only go through this 89 process of, let's call it impeachment. If he's acted in bad faith. So it's not just that he's acted wrongfully. It's also that he's knowingly acted wrongfully. And then they say, but the, but the panel never tried to establish what he knew or didn't know or what, you know, what his state of mind was. They never really tried to establish mens rea. They just ignored it. So they were ignoring the rules uh, that they're supposed to play by. And on that basis, we say they acted irrationally. But the very same argument quotes the panel as saying that he acted dishonestly and that he acted you know, various other things that attribute to him a state of mind and show how they discern that state of mind. I mean, the panel goes to a lot of, goes to great lengths to try to do uh, an analysis of his mental state to say he, this couldn't just be uh, accidentally reckless. He must have been deliberately deceitful here. So, I mean, they're just, it's just spurious nonsense to say that the panel didn't uh, engage in a bad faith analysis. They totally did. It's it's in black on white. So I'm, I I feel like for 20 minutes there, I was making out as if Ramaphosa's got all the good arguments and his lawyers are just... But he might have enough. That's it. He might have enough. He's got some bad, bad, bad arguments. There's some, there's some, there's some crud, uh, as the Americans say, but there's also some genuine little gems in there. And I think that he's got enough of a gem to get off the first charge um, to, and to get off the other three, uh, okay. he, he can say, I told Wally Rude, I thought Wally Rude should take it from there properly. Um, I never had a, a, a conflict. I'm, I'm yeah. acting like the founder of the nation. Also, there's a fall guy. Also, the source of all this is evil incarnate. That's a pretty, you know, <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that if you, it's a three layer defense, them, it's pretty strong. It's strong. Okay. So, the real question now is you think that it could have been done better. So I am Mr. Uh, philanthropist Mac Richington. And I say, Mr. Krauser, here's a billion rand. What do you do? No, money's not going to do it. Uh, you need a political party to table a new motion of impeachment against Ramaphosa. And it needs to say the following thing. Ramaphosa, set up the, Ramaphosa established the standard for misconduct. I'm pretty sure you could get that done with a billion rand donation to a political party. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah, if you gave me a billion rand right now, I'd do a couple of things with it. But one of the things I would do is I would dangle some money in front of some political parties and I'd say, 
go ahead and do it. And, and let me just, okay, I'm going to say at some stage why the DA is not doing this. Um, and it's, it's nothing to do with money. Money is a sort of funny way to think about it. The DA, okay, before we get to the DA, here's what you need to charge the president with. The president established his own standard, his own interpretation of a conflict of interest, unconstitutional misconduct. In terms of uh, section 194 uh, of how he should exercise his powers for removing chapter 9 institution people like the Auditor General or the Public Protector, and in terms of section 89, how his own conduct should be understood in terms of that 89B. And what the president did is say, here are the rules, and then he broke his own rules. So Busisiwem Kobani, the public protector, was found to be incompetent by courts since 2017, which is when she was appointed, right? From the get-go, there was court-based <laughs> evidence Yes, that she she, she's lost be removed. quite a few court cases. <laughs> and it's but it's not, just, not just that she lost the court case. The court was like, dude, you're irrational. Like, you're mad. You're mishuganate. You, you don't belong here. You're not fit for office. Uh, you're egregiously incompetent. Not just incompetent. Fabulously incompetent. Like, you are actually setting new standards for how we didn't know how you're a special you kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but so so there's been a lot of so long to remove her, and and she's also facing an impeachment thing now. So she's she yeah she's there's been reason to suspend her from about 15 seconds into the job. <laughs> yes, and the DA tabled a motion, and and to be fair to Mkwebane and Parliament and National Assembly and the ANC, initially the rules to go through the process they were not very well established. So and Mkwebane has won some of her court cases. It's worth noting by saying, look, you guys are trying to remove me, but there isn't a good proper procedure. You know, one of the things, as I said, she's not allowed to have a lawyer uh, do the uh, some of the arguments. And, you know, maybe the anyway, the, the Concord found that she was right. I've, I've, I've heard very smart people say that they shouldn't have. Um, but in any event, they did. And, and I think it's the kind of thing where reasonable people can disagree. Uh, so she had a reasonable argument there, at least. And the the, the the rules had to be written, not rewritten, just written, uh, to actually have a, a proper impeachment process in the rules of parliament. They're called the rules of parliament. And they were finally passed in 2019. And then in 2020, there was a court case between the public protector and Ramaphosa where she said, you can't get rid of me because you've got a conflict of interest, because I'm investigating you for prima facie uh, misconduct, particularly re revolving around Busasa, I think it was, uh, CR17 campaign. I think that was the beef at the time. Anyway, Ramaphosa said at the time, according to these latest court documents, okay, you're right. If there is a court case pending between us, I cannot remove you, because that would be misconduct. That would be a conflict of interest between my public duty as president and my private interest in not uh, having someone in the public protector's office who's really against me and I'm actually guilty come after. Uh, you right. know, I and you've got a private interest as a guilty person to mount a good defense, right? You have the right to a lawyer 
for free at the state's expense to protect you or the right to use your own money to pay for a lawyer to protect you even better. Uh, so, he, you know, the, the law accounts for the private interest that guilty people have in defending themselves, but that's not the same as the public interest that the office of the president has to uphold the constitution. And there's a conflict there if, if the public protector is coming after you and there's a genuine court case pending. That court case ends in 2020. Then uh, there's a, a, a delay because of this and that. Then in 2021, there's a Concord case that's launched. Um, and uh, the Speaker of the National Assembly says, okay, we're going to suspend the process. According to the President, from July 2021, the final letter hits his desk, at which point he could have suspended Mkwebane. But he doesn't because this Concord case starts. And it's a real case. And she wins a clause in the case, but she loses everything else. That case gets decided in February 2022. And then the speaker, they're all very slow. You know, the court case is decided on like the 22nd of February. And Mkwebani mainly loses. I mean, the upshot is that her impeachment can go ahead. It takes until the 10th of March, which is like, you know, quite a few weeks afterwards for the Speaker of the National Assembly to write to the President and to Mkwebane saying, look, we're restarting the Section 194 Impeachment Committee. The independent panel is going ahead against you. Then it takes Ramaphosa until the 18th, 17th of March or the 18th of March to send Mkwebane a letter saying, I'm going to suspend you if you don't convince me otherwise um, because the Concord case is finished now and, and there's some prima facie evidence against you. And I say 17th or 18th because both parties in the papers, there's a bit of a story between, like, was it the 17th of March or the 18th of March? It's kind of suspicious. It makes me wonder whether he actually sent one kind of letter and then quite a different letter on the 18th. But anyway, it's one of those two days, both of those days. And then after that, it gets really, really quick. And this is where it gets very important. It's like on the, she, her lawyers reply on the 20th and then his on the 21st, the 22nd, the 25th, the 26th. You know, it's like in a few days, like each day, they're going back and forth. And, you know, part of the argument is his lawyers are saying, we're going to impeach you. And her lawyers are saying, you can't because there's a conflict of interest because of these other cases. And someone has said that you uh, are too close with Zondo. And someone else has said that you're guilty of this. Back to Bosasa. Someone also said you're guilty of that. And he says, there's no court cases pending between us. Uh, there's, if you have an investigation that you've just launched on the base of a rumor, that can't be a reason to stop. Uh, because our standard is, and the state's attorney swears to this, the standard is if there's a court case pending between us, then we must stop. But if there's merely an investigation, you can launch an investigation at the drop of a hat. That's your power. That can't block us from suspending you. That would mean the Constitution has established a system where you can immunize yourself uh, way too easily. And they use the phrase immunize. They say that there are circumstances in which you can immunize yourself from suspension. And they name those circumstances if there's a court case pending. And they say, look, we're willing to offer you a deal. We will not suspend you. And we will shelf the question of whether we're going to suspend you until we have basically a court case and exchange to figure out this question one more time of what exactly is the relation between our two powers, the power of the presidency to suspend the public protector and the power of the public protector to investigate the presidency and then the potential conflict of interest that results if both are trying to happen at the same time. And that's the one thing that they agree on. And they say, let's set a timetable. 
And the timetable is set. Dude, and the public protector, the speaker, the president, John Klopper, the judge president of the Western Cape, each one of these parties, Klopper once, but the other three twice each, re-establish the same timetable. It's the one thing they agree on. These letters, they're furious. They're like, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. Metaphorically, they don't obviously actually say that. They're like, <laughs> you're dumb. You're stupid. Jump in the fire. You're a poo head. But look, the one thing we all agree on is this timetable over and over again. And the timetable is she's got to finish her submissions by like the 30th of March or the 1st of April, which is just after the panel committee, her panel, 194 panel, is going to decide whether to go forward with impeachment or not. And they decide to go forward with impeachment. And on the 1st of April, she files her founding affidavit to the Western Cape High Court to say, this is why Ramaphosa shall not suspend me. And Ramaphosa, in March, in this back and forth, the agreed timetable, he says, I will answer by the 11th or 12th of April. And if I can't, I promise to answer as soon after that as I can. He files his responding affidavit on the 11th of April, according to the timetable. And according to the timetable, they agree. She will then respond to his response. And then they're going to have a hearing on the 25th and 26th of April. And they do have a hearing on the 25th and 26th of April. It's exactly according to schedule. Everything goes exactly according to schedule. And he says, I, I have no power to suspend you while we're going through this process. It would be a conflict, in other words, he admits, if while we're going through this process, you know, now that I've agreed, I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to answer that with a response. You're going to answer that with your response. Then we're going to have a hearing and we're going to ding it out in the hearing. In that process, I promise I can't suspend you. That would obviously be interrupting the process. We've got a process. But he threatens her. He says, if we don't, for some reason, have that hearing by that time, then I can go ahead and suspend you. Then this power drops away. But as far as I can tell, they stick to the schedule. And so that power doesn't go away. And then what happens is the court sits to go and deliberate. And it sits and it deliberates. And it hands down judgment. On the 9th of June, the registrar of the court writes to Mkwebane, to Ramaphosa, to the other political parties that are involved, UDM, ATM, says, guys, we're going to give judgment tomorrow. And on that day, Ramaphosa suspends her. The day before the Ooh. court, it is as pending as pending can be. And Ramaphosa's own sworn affidavit, his state's attorney's own sworn affidavit, both attest to the fact his own previous submissions to the high court in 2020 established the rule that he can't suspend her if a judgment is pending in a matter between the two of them, because that would be a conflict of interest by any <laughs> common sense account. And the day before, while it's pending, while the registrar said it's pending, he suspends her. By the way, the day after, she has made the public announcement that she's investigating him because of Pala Pala. And two days after, she's submitted to him 31 questions about Palapala that I can't find an answer to. The president, beyond this, the claim that this did that his suspension of her did nothing to delay the investigation. Dude, can you tell me the 31 questions she asked? I can't find them. I can't find them in the public record. I can't find them on the internet. I can't find them in the court record. I can find in the court records that he didn't answer her by the time that he promised he would. And that there was a bit of a rearrangement. Oh, we've got a new person involved. I don't know if he has answered those 31 new questions. I don't know if the new public protector has actually pursued that matter zealously. There's a thing to consider. 
You know, everyone's assuming mm. the new public protector is awesome. Has he answered the 31 questions? Do you know what the 31 questions are? Are you sitting in a country where the, where the president managed to get rid of the person who is supposed to be guarding the guardians, guarding the president on behalf of the people? She finally gets a legitimate case against him on the day that it, yes. before the judgment, according to his own rules, he can't suspend it while there's judgment. Is anyone paying attention to this? I can't find it on News 24. I can't find it in, on uh, the Daily Maverick. I, I'm not trying to single out News 24. They're just the biggest uh, uh, in not the country. Not even on... Uh... Uh, my camera has died, which is, I think, what distracted Gabriel there, but not even on <laughs> IOL. Yeah, not even on IOL, except the people who who are out with their knives to try and get Ramaphosa on focusing on this. The panel report, the independent panel report, mentions that the Western Cape High Court found Ramaphosa guilty of obstructing justice by um, uh, suspending Mkobane when he did. He could have and should have suspended her earlier. It's not a matter of she shouldn't have been suspended. It's a matter of when he suspended her. And it, it was exactly the only moment in time when it right. made no sense to suspend her. Because it makes it makes you think, well, maybe he was suspending her for the wrong reasons. The only way to explain the timing, if he had suspended her the next day, you could say he waited for the court judgment and then he suspended her. If he suspended her in July 2021 or in February 2020 or in June, July, August, July 2021, August, September, or then after the Concord, February 2022, March 2022, uh, that would have uh, been okay. But then the window closed again because on April 1st, according to his and hers agreed go forward, he shelved his suspension power so that they could go back to court and uh, both contest whether or not he had a prima facie conflict. And it is exactly at the moment when that is about to be heard that he, that, that, that he does suspend her. So he closed the window on himself. By his own standards, he suspended her at the wrong time. And I think that is – it's hiding in plain sight, dude. You know, it's, it's just – it is very important. Richard Nixon was not impeached because – you know, some junior aides in the Republican Party were spying on the Democrats. the Democrats in the Watergate Hotel uh, while they were campaigning to what? Yeah, like, what are your talking points going to be? Well, what are your polls saying? You know, it was like, right. you don't get rid of a president because, you know, three, it's, it's because he covered it up. In, to Alia by uh, firing the, the head of the FBI. Ramaphosa has effectively hired the head of the FBI and just as she started investigating very, him. And very in different case, daylight, but, but when yeah. the impeachment was was run against Bill Clinton, I think the main charge was that he had lied under oath. Yes. He said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It's like, whatever, right. you slept with your secretary, that's not cool, or it is cool, depending on where you are on the cool spectrum. Um, it, but, but, but lying about it to the American people, that's not good. So, yeah. I, you, you know, I think that... Um, uh, it's amazing. The Western Cape High Court's judgment against Ramaphosa, though, I'm saying even the people that are going after Ramaphosa aren't doing it very well. They don't go through the evidence. That, they don't describe what I've just described. They don't manage to show, for example, even though it's in black on white in the court records, that Ramaphosa's own uh, standard of evaluation of misconduct is the standard... Uh, according to which he is guilty of serious misconduct. They kind of make up their own standards. They do nothing to look at the evidence. And here's what's really disturbing to me. Ramaphosa's first fielding of live questions from the media, as far as I can tell, since he visited the UN and was cornered in New York, 
was asked about uh, what do you think about the farm murder situation isn't it terrible he said there's no farm murders and peter bruce you know said well, of course ramaphosa's first language is not english when he says there are no farm murders oh come on <laughs> i hate now I, I really resented that um but um patronizing bloody nonsense um uh, you know ramaphosa has been very careful and very good at staying away from live questions and very good at uh, being very slow in response. Very, very the opposite of Donald Trump. You know, he he does not inculpate himself. He doesn't uh, put himself into a corner. He's like a guy who's been well trained, and you know, a lot of his heroes, a lot of my heroes, uh, spent a lot of time behind bars and know that the right thing to do uh, with an interrogator is divulge no information. And the wrong thing to do is, is shoot your mouth off. Um, so he has been very careful for a long time, but he was cornered. Um, there, Blinken was uh, visiting South Africa, you know, it was uh, about to visit South Africa. Uh, it was an important time. In fact, was visiting South Africa, I think, when, when um, the Palapala investigation uh, was launched. Uh, there was an American, there were foreign journalists around. You took questions from journalists, and local journalists asked the best questions. Uh, better than New, 20, New York Times asked them these silly softball questions. SABC, <laughs> Newsroom Africa, they asked the hard questions, and they said, dude, we all think Mkwabani no, no. should go, yeah. but why did you fire her, suspend her the day after she opened an investigation into you? If, and if, he if said... You the, yeah. If you are the New York Times, and the SABC is asking better questions than you, then you take a very, very long look at the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> have some body. think about yourself relieve yourself have a rinse repeat start again start afresh anyway um <laughs> he answered that question why is the timing what it was he said if you look at the correspondence if you look at the process you'll see it is all above board and it'll explain everything it just doesn't explain anything. And he refers. So our, our attorneys immediately reached out to him. We said, look, if there's anything that's not on record, please share it with us because we want to help you, dude. I want to help Ramaphosa. If he's being set up, if it does all make sense, if the timetable, I went into yep. this thing. I came to Cape Town. Dodgy political not life jobs are not good for the country. Yes, yes. I hate, dude, you know, uh, man, there are all kinds of impeachments that, 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 that I think, uh, you know. I want it to go, but not for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Process really matters. That's what democracy means. It means you you really respect the, the rule of law. It means it's not enough that the bad guy gets in trouble. The 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 the, the process has to be proper. That's a that's a very serious idea. It's it's really the only way because I'm a bad guy. You're a bad guy. You know, not overall, but we've got some badness in us, and we could all go mad. Um, if we had unchecked power, if we were Roman emperors being begged to 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 just take care of everything, I'm a hundred percent certain we would all become really really awful. Uh, for for a minute, you know, we'd be able to do really good things um, through this procedure of just whatever I say goes, uh, whatever I want happens. But but that procedure is not reliable, and and so I want to I want to know I want to know you know on on Sunday uh, I was. I was being grilled by people that were like, what have you come and done? You want to you get him? You want to get him? I was like, I honestly, maybe he is guilty and then we'll get him. But maybe he's innocent, innocent and then we'll help him. Um, I don't know. And I, and I still don't entirely know. Um, I mean, I know for sure that according to his own standards, he's, he's acted impeachably. Um, but the final, the final piece of the puzzle 
is, you know, he refers to this, this letter that uh, he sent her or she sent him on the 26th of May. And in the court records, there's reference to these WhatsApp messages between the presidency and the public protector. And that is just not anywhere included. And it's just evidence. <laughs> and, uh, and like, wow, like how is it not? being decided on WhatsApp, though. <laughs> some of the best news. Truly, WhatsApp has conquered the South African experience. It's nowhere to be seen. Dude, I mean, I spent two days in the West Camp High Court archives looking for this evidence. I was told that the file was nowhere to be located for a couple of hours. You know, you have to like knock on the second door, knock on the third door. Like it's hard to find any of this stuff. And it's it's like, it's uh, it's kind of precarious. You worry about how easily things could go missing. And it's really, it's really, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it feels like the threads holding us together are are, um, are pretty thin. But uh, I, I suppose theoretically, maybe somehow, somewhere, there's something that those WhatsApps could say that would somehow explain how it makes sense that Ramaphosa, having set up his own standard, that he can't he can't impeach her, he can't suspend her if there's a case between them and setting up a timeline to, to do that case and then doing that case, why he would then suspend her the day before the judgment comes out. Maybe there's something in the WhatsApp that explains it. I like I can't actually imagine anything that would explain it. Um, but I'm, a, you know, I've got a limited mind. I've, I think I like to think I've got quite a good imagination. Um, I can't imagine around square though. And, and I struggle to think in like seven dimensions, you know, more visually. <laughs> but there are the, physicists uh, out there who are like really good at like they can. Map what, what, what's the dimensions. joke? What's the joke about Donald Trump that he's always playing 60 four, chess? Chess, yes. chess, So maybe there's like some 4D chess thing that, you know, like a, like some, some genius uh, Ramaphosa himself or someone in the presidency. Maybe, maybe there is something out there. Anyway, so. I think you know the main thing I want to do is 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 renew our request to his office that they share that information with us, that they put it on the record. We can't. It is amazing to me how this country is like flipping, sitting in this position where our president suspended our public protector, and uh, and no one really knows why he did it, when he did it, and you're supposed to just accept one version or the other version without evidence to back it up, just on their say-so. You know, Ramaphosa says, don't worry about it. If you just, if only you knew, you'd know that it all makes sense. The timeline would explain it. You can check out the timeline. It doesn't explain it. She says, <laughs> you know, he suspended me incorrectly, but she's been saying that uh, since before there was this case between them, you know, uh, since, like, she's been saying that when it's clearly not been true, like the Concord, the High Court... She's been shown time and again to have accused him of having a conflict of interest when he didn't have a conflict of interest. So you, you, you really can't trust her on making this allegation. But when you look at how the Western Cape High Court actually found against him on the 9th of September, it was basically on her say-so. As I said, they didn't refer to the kind of standards and evidence that I've been referring to, which is the, which is the stuff he's saying. Uh, and the and the and the correspondence between them uh, in terms of establishing the timeline. Instead, it's like uh, you know, uh, 
uh, I don't know. It just seems a little bit more vague to me. But maybe I'm being unfair to the high court. But but that was the impression that I got. So it feels like, you know, and, and the DA, by the way, the reason that they're not helping in this is that they don't want Mkwebani to come back. You know, they're opposing. They've been telling Ramaphosa to suspend her from the beginning. So I think they're a little bit right. like worried that if, if someone tries to impeach Ramaphosa for removing well, the public protector at a time that only could have be explained by serving his own interests and that goes against the procedural fairness that he had established in order to immunize himself from the charge of serious misconduct, he, because of a conflict of interest, the, the DA has like always been arguing against this whole thing. They were just like, you should have suspended her two years ago. We don't care about the timing. And right, if right. you were to suspend Ramaphosa on this basis, does that then I, you bring I back Kwebane? Yeah, I think I think the other part of the reason is they've not decided to go for this early election call, which you are also calling for. But there, you can see maybe why they're not wanting to necessarily succeed in some of the impeachment stuff. When you look at the, uh, uh, so I've just just as the show started, I got WhatsApped the sort of talking points on in favor of the early election, and the, and here's what the the DA pamphlet says: Why do we need early elections? One to prevent an RET-EFF coalition from taking over if Ramaphosa goes. Two, to provide a new mandate because the current government will be paralyzed by ANC infighting and we need a government that's focused on overcoming the crisis or the crises. To give voters, instead of the corrupt ANC, Congress delegates the power to decide who should lead SA. Dude, let me so, add point number four. Listen, right. listen carefully. Please, <laughs> listen carefully now. Point number four. Because the president has unlawfully and impeachably in serious misconduct suspended the public protector at exactly the time when you, there's no way to explain it other than as an abuse of power. No, and, I, I, and the public protector deserves to be suspended. So you've got two officers, each suspending the other. It's a, it's a disaster. It is a constitutional crisis. The only way to remedy this thing, because theoretically what should happen is that the courts should say, look, the president was suspended her unlawfully but because she so deserves to be suspended, she, the remedy is just to is to keep her suspended, which is a disaster to say, you know, you were unlawfully <laughs> Yes, that's not good. You have to unsuspend her and then... We're not going to let you back in. You really want to, you can resuspend <laughs> her again, I guess. <laughs> but also, like, if the court finds that she's been unlawfully suspended, the court is then finding that on his... That on some kind of basis, he has committed serious misconduct. And then he, the, part, the, the the National Assembly is given... a. Uh, a, a, a de facto kind of injunction to remove the president. But you know that they're not going to do that because they're married to the president. The only way to deal with this is just to dissolve the National Assembly. The National Assembly needs to admit that we are facing a constitutional crisis because the president is a mishugana. Uh, if this, uh, uh, unless there's something in the WhatsApps to reveal otherwise, and the public protector is uh, 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 has deserved to be removed since she arrived, and it's a terrible combination, and the only way to deal with it is by getting a whole new mandate. So I think that they, I think that this is a reason. This is another reason to argue for an early election. It's not. It's not at all orthogonal mm. to it. And I and I hope I that and, and someone this, is going to take it. This fear of an RET EFF coalition from taking over from Ramaphosa goes so, because that's the, that's presumably the first reason why they're not embracing this. Wouldn't would be scared of him perhaps embracing a fourth one. It's like right. that's. If it could actually remove him because it is yeah. so blatant and because a part of the ANC right. really is behind Mkwebane and you can imagine the EFF joining in with it. Exactly. And this is the problem of, of seeing the so-called RET faction as in some way 
super distinct from the rest of the party, which is something we've argued against for a long time. It really isn't that distinct. It's maybe a little bit more blatant here or there, but it's pretty much exactly on the same page. It's more personality clash really than anything else. Yeah. Uh, So if the president did something impeachable, he should probably be impeached. And I, and I, and, and look, maybe I'm wrong on the other stuff. Maybe the other stuff is also impeachable. I'm just saying, like, as a dude with a kind of car mechanics notion of the law, uh, nothing fancier than that. Uh, running your own business, does it, it's just a fancy home. It's a, it's a holiday home that's so nice that you can sell the grass, you know. I don't think it counts as his own business. I don't think the court's going to find that way. You know, Wally Rude, you should have reported to Preka. I don't think so because it's not that kind of crime. You should have reported to Saps to get a case number. I don't think so. You're not the one who discovered the crime. You had no firsthand evidence. You were the owner, um, and it would have been uh, clearly and look, weird if you hadn't reported it to someone, but you did report it to someone in the Saps, and you thought that they would go ahead and do the right thing. And because Parliament has established that for it to be serious, not just misconduct, it's not enough that it was wrong. You did the wrong thing. Okay, whatever. We can forgive you. There has to be serious misconduct. You had to know that you are doing the wrong thing. I don't think you can prove that. I think that he's off the hook on all of those charges and it's going to make him seem embattled. It's going to, you know, Peter Bruce is not going to fall for it, but so many other Mbongi's are going to be like, oh, Ramaphosa needs us because he's being attacked by the villains of the state capture era. Uh, the so Zimmerites, there's a, there's a different... Uh, the only real crime, movie. the most right. obvious impeachable crime, is that you covered it all up by removing this lady at a time when it just makes no sense. There is nowhere to explain it. Other than the, I saw I saw I saw an anti Ramaphosa meme which uh, talks exactly about those Mbongis running up and throwing their arms around him and declaring to defend him. So the meme reads as follows: From the people that brought you the original movie starring Sir Ramaphosa and the full cast of Zuma One, Zuma Two, they've blocked it. They'll block it again, and then it says rave reviews in the media, and it's all five stars. And the different quotes say it wasn't that much money. He's the real victim here. That's how you buy buffaloes. He's such a good <laughs> businessman. We will always believe in him. Uh, now you have to do it again in a Trump voice. It's not that much money. <laughs> not that much money. Come on. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows. Everybody <laughs> knows it. There's so much more money. Zuma 2 is even better than Zuma 1. It's one of those sequels <laughs> that's just even better. It hardly ever happens. He's the real victim. Zuma was tried by the media. Ramaphosa is being tried by the super media. It includes the mainstream media <laughs> yes. and the alternative and media. The media will suddenly mean, yeah, the, the, the media will suddenly be uh, IOL, which will apparently be the mainstream all of a sudden. Um. <laughs> the best way to buy buffaloes, let me tell you, I buy buffaloes all the time. You go with dollars, you spend the dollars, you don't take the buffalo. And I read this. Did, you know, Peter Bruce, was, Peter that, Bruce was already that, saying it. Like, why would Mustafa yeah. take away the buffaloes? He doesn't know how to run buffaloes. Ramaphosa knows how to run the buffaloes. You buy the buffaloes, you leave them at Ramaphosa's place. That's just how you buy buffaloes. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and it kind of makes sense. He, he, like, he literally sold them to a, to a Somali guy, right? Like to a Somali politician. Uh, sorry, not Somali, Sudanese politician. Sudanese. Dude, it is easier, I think, to just leave the buffaloes where they are than it is to try and yeah. transport them to. No, Spanish. but you see. Uh, yeah, I, the Sudanese is, political class is not what I would say the most far from controversy. So that that's an angle that probably is 
maybe worth looking into eventually one day. If we Dude, when Ramaphosa when Ramaphosa <laughs> did his investment drive in 2018, just became president, we're going to get like a trillion rand or whatever into the South African economy from foreign investors. Who were the first investors to openly sign up and say we are giving money? Sudan. I think it was Sudan, Qatar, and oh no, <laughs> was the third one? It was like like um, Singapore, maybe. I think it was like there was one semi-legit one in there, but it was like shake. It was like shady shake, kind of royal family. I- and then there were about 15 uh, minutes where Sudan had looked like it might be about to go through some sort of political change. And then the Sudanese army said, mm, nah. <laughs> no change. More the same. Anyway, yeah, dude, yeah. We, should, we should wrap it up because I'm mm, We should. We should. Okay. Um, do you have recommend? Uh, I have two, although, yeah, the one, the one is far too niche. So I'm not probably going to put the link in. And that is um, National Review Proving. They are a publication full of class. Uh, has decided to to publish. It's 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 dressed up as a sort of examination of the philosophy of Tolkien, um, <laughs> but it's really just an excuse to write about the history of the fourth age of men from Middle Earth. Sorry, the second <laughs> age of men from Middle Earth. So <laughs> it's it's kind of blatant in that it's like two percent philosophy, ninety eight percent, and then this happened in the second age, and this is and how Morgoth pulled the downfall. <laughs> It's so great. It's so great because it's clearly a Tolkien fan who is uh, taking the opportunity to write about something he loved. And and that I could totally respect. Any any Anyone who gets into the in-depth lore of Tolkien's world is, is okay in my book. Uh, the thing I am going to link is a video from the channel Kings and Generals. I recommended them a long time ago, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it's a, it's a good video. Um, Crisis, century of crisis, why the 1300s were the worst. Uh, and it's, it's just a little review of how sometimes a whole bunch of things can all come together to make <laughs> uh, uh, a particular period in time rather unpleasant. And it's, it's really interesting because they've been doing this series recently, and this is basically the last video in that series about, you know, what is the Middle Ages? Where do they start? How dark were they really? Um, and this makes the interesting point that... When we 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 there's this sort of common perception the Middle Ages was just this entire period of misery, but it's actually far more complicated than that. It goes, it has its ups and it has its downs, and it has many renaissances that happen throughout it. Uh, and the 1300s one is kind of the last down, and oh boy, is a is it a bit of a down? Uh, just uh, for those <laughs> who are unfamiliar, that's the the year when the bubonic plague has the really big outbreak that everyone knows uh, remembers. So, yeah. possibly the worst disease outbreak in human history. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay, I kind of want to. Um, I want to recommend the Scotus case, which is about free expression and whether someone who makes websites for couples getting married are allowed to uh, say no to uh, gay couples who. One, two. Um, oh, did you see Congress picture? actually did something? Yeah, they codified because when when the when the decision came down on on uh, when Dobbs versus Jackson came down, um, uh, Clarence Thomas wrote this concurrence. We basically said, you know, 
there's this whole bunch of laws of precedents where we decided on rights that actually, yeah, it's probably not in the constitution. We should really think about that. And this yeah, he, he, he challenged, he, he challenged uh, the 14th amendment, which guarantees equality before the law and due process re iterates right. the due process qualification. Right. He said, you know, the, this has been used to yeah, not only abused. do abortion, also Obergefell, which was the gay which marriage, the, the gay marriage one. And he said, you know, maybe that's a that's got that's used the same basis, and it it seems to stand to the same challenge because it's not clear that. Uh, I actually I actually think he's sort of wrong about that, but anyway, so I think. Well, you're regardless saying, of whether he's he's wrong or right, the political consequences were that this spurred, particularly from the left, a very uh, a flurry of concern that there was yeah. you know going to perhaps be they're going to take away gay marriage. The, the right, gay marriage yeah. right and yeah. even some of the more uh, uh, panicked people said even interracial marriage would suddenly fall oh, under some <laughs> anyway so <laughs> as far as i understand congress has uh with healthy uh with a bipartisan support because yeah. as i said you know there are a lot yeah. of republicans who are totally on board with all this uh passed things codifying into law Gay marriage, and I think it also would include would it, the way they've written it. I haven't read the text of the law myself, but it's the way they've written it may also include interracial marriage as well. Not that anyone is actually trying to get rid of that, but you know, <laughs> the point is, well, point is, it's, it's it is explicitly going to be protected. In protected law. Now, there is a there is a there is another fight to be had over this as to whether the federal government has the power to do X, Y, or Z. But honestly. That's the that's for the lawyers to decide. For me, yeah. I think this is legislature doing what it's supposed to do, which yes. is actually passing some freaking laws and yes. doing something that it's supposed to do. And, and I, I think it's very reflect, good. That reflect that. And that's that why are, that I think Clarence Thomas good, that, yeah. is probably rubbing his belly and smiling because I suspect this was his master plan all along. <laughs> yes. it, it, it's got that flavor of when Christopher Hitchens wrote a piece for Vanity Fair saying women aren't funny. And then, like the next week or the next month, like uh, Sarah Silverman, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and I think someone else were like on the cover of Vanity Fair, uh, looking gorgeous. And then inside, were, like writing stories that were funny and biting and difficult and fabulous and interesting, all criticizing him. And uh, he then, in the interview, said, "Well, you know, it worked." <laughs> I just wanted some ladies to make me laugh, and uh, I, I laid down the board. <laughs> it worked. Anyway, I don't know. Okay, that's, so, uh, anyway, so anyway. so that case, that case, I think, uh, yeah, that's that's a that, well, that's a sort of free speech one, but it's it's tangentially related to. It's tangentially. I don't actually know which way this case should go. In my own view, it's like I've, part of what's interesting about it is that um, I've got very strong moral intuitions. Um, I guess you could say pro-gay. Um, moral intuitions, uh, and it sort of really puts me off to to think that someone would want to uh, withhold their business from someone else because that other person is gay. It just seems really, really barbaric to me. But at the same time, there are religious concerns that you know you don't want the government to enforce. I don't want the government to enforce my views on on you, and if you religiously really think that homosexuality is a sin, I, you know, I do, I, I think it's important that guns shouldn't be pointed at you um, uh, effectively for that. 
So it like it pulls, it really pulls at me and like listening to the, the conversation. Like Amy Conan Barrett did this thought experiment with the with the side that I feel very sim- sympathetic with the side that says, look, dude, if you're making these websites uh, and you would be prepared to make exactly the same website for another couple, um, uh, and, but you're saying no to this couple simply because they're gay, then that's unlawful discrimination. Right. So Amy Cameron Barrett is hearing this argument. And then she asks back and she says, so you're saying, what about this hypothetical? What if there's like the New York Times decides in Gay Pride Month that in the section of the newspaper where they write about who's getting married, they, they're just only going to include gay marriages. They get so many people writing in, we've gotten married, we've gotten married, please put it in your newspaper, that like they could easily for a month just put gay marriages uh, and they wouldn't be doing it because they disparage heterosexual marriage because they look down on it. They'd just be doing it because they want to emphasize the celebration of gay marriage. Are you saying that it'd be unlawful? Because it's discriminating because it's saying, look, this website, you know, there are, here are two couples. Right. We would, we would uh, usually do both, but we're actually going to ignore the one and put up the other um, simply because uh, one's gay and the other one's not. It's like, you know, that feels difficult to me because I feel like obviously the New York Times should be allowed to do that if they want to. That sh- that's not unlawful discrimination, is it? And he's like, well, I think it is maybe unlawful discrimination. He sort of bites the bullet and he's like, you know, that you that you can't exclude the, the gays and you can't exclude the straights. And then she asks him, you know, what if there's like a gay pride magazine that just says all year round, we're only going to put up gay marriages. Again, not to diss the straights, but just to celebrate the gays. Is that unlawful? And he he sort of says, I mean, there's this qualification of like, it's unlawful. He says it's unlawful if they're playing a certain kind of public function. Um, and that just feels really wrong to me. Like, how can you deny gay, a gay pride magazine the right to just only advertise gay marriages? <laughs> yes. The, <laughs> that seems of, crazy. kind of what it says on the pin, right? <laughs> but if you're allowed as a gay magazine to only you, advertise gay you marriages... Purchase a, in, a, uh, a as a Christian magazine, and, yeah, and like oh well, like, we're going to put some pineapple in there too, you know, because equality, diversity, know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels like at that level, I feel like the gay pride magazine should be allowed to just do gay weddings, and the Christian conservative magazine, whatever it is, the Muslim magazine, Jewish magazine, should be allowed to just do uh, straight marriage marriages that fit their orthodox uh, view of the world, and uh, other newspapers and magazines can can mix it up and. You know, it's kind of okay because most people are sort of, no one's hurting. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this case, um, which is, you know, it means I probably don't pass many people's loyalty tests on one side or the other. So, but I think it's like an interesting one to listen to. But I, but I kind of want to say, like, uh, maybe my link uh, will be African Media Online. It's this place that's doing the, it's, it's just the best archivist's on the continent amazing amazing company in peter maritzburg i got to visit them a couple of weeks ago i talked about it a little bit they're archiving mangosutu putelezi's gachas uh, several offices and libraries it's amazing they're going to do a bit of work for the institute of race relations as well um i just think that you know if you go to their website i think you can click around and you can see some really fun little interesting bits of south Africa. you know you can do a digital tour of a of a fabulous world uh, of, of old things that have been preserved. And since I've been in an archive in the court, I kind of uh, I can't show you that, but I can send you 
the way of this this broader archive this uh, this uh i don't know sometimes the internet's like a panopticon you know you can sort of see in any direction <laughs> but then that's because you that kind of get blinded by all this stuff yeah it's i don't know panopticon is often too much so it's like nice to just have a little lounge you know little curated lounge like there's just a few <laughs> things there but they kind of all have been yes. chosen to be quite cool i think they do a bit of that so check it out okay uh, and with that, let's call it to a close. And uh, all I can say is until the new year, keep the flag of well, liberty flying. Unless we can convince Nick to, to allow one follow-up in, in the I think this season. Is, I think this is a, unless, unless Cyril goes, I think that's probably about a zero chance. Okay. <laughs> Guys, if you hear this, email Nick, email Nick for follow-up in Christmas. <laughs> Not in Christmas, but like, you know, December 16th. Yeah, Blood River. Christmas. There's Blood zero River. chance of that. <laughs> Blood River. December 17th. Here we go. Okay, keep the flag. All right. Keep the yeah, keep the flag of liberty flying. <laughs>